Humans, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of La Mescla. This is your host, Adrian Burke, or Adrian Burke, if you are my mom. Uh, shout out to all of my fans who I've decided to call my mom's friends. Uh, you're all my mom's friends, whether or not you've ever met my mom. Uh, this is a special uh, late-in-the-week drop because uh, in addition to being really excited about this episode, I want to do one last promotion push for our live La Mescla Spectacular this coming Monday, September 23rd. At 7 p.m. at Caveat on 21A Clinton Street in Manhattan. Uh, would love to see you there. The ticket link to the show is in the description for this episode, and it's plastered all over the social media accounts for the show. So if you want to come support some awesome mixed-race and first-generation artists, comedians, actors, musicians, producers, uh, come on out and see the show. It's going to be really, really fun, and there might be some home-cooked food there. Uh, it's going to be really great. I'm going to be honest with you and say I'm so fucking nervous, but <laughs> I think it's going to be really fun. So come on out. Peep that link in the description. Let's get into our guest for today. New York, I know you Every morning that I wake up, I think about my our guest for today is the wonderful Tulio Espinosa. Tulio is a Venezuelan immigrant, a writer and comedian based in New York. Uh, he hosts the all Latinx improv show Gato Culo at the UCB Theater here in Manhattan. He's also the co-founder of the Satire and Humor Festival, which you can look at at satireandhumor.com or follow on social media at Satire and Humor. That's the super cool event that they host annually, uh, full of panels and shows and talkbacks with uh, working comedians and satirists. If you are interested in writing comedy, this is a great event for you to attend, and it's an awesome community builder for uh, the satirist and comedy community. Uh, so please check out all his stuff. Tulio and I had a great conversation about immigrating from Venezuela, about creating a comedy career here in New York, uh, about coming out in a very conservative uh, socialist country, uh, and just in general about his come up. I really, really enjoyed this conversation, and it got way more political than the show usually does, in a great way, I think. Uh, so please uh, sit back and enjoy this episode with Julio Espinosa. Huh? Say that again. You're the Mark Marin of immigrants. That's, I mean, I just started recording, so okay. I wanted that for the record. Great, 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 <laughs> That's great. Insane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Mark Marin of immigrants. <laughs> That's bananas. I like what Mark Marin does. I'll, I, I'll cop to that. Yeah, yeah. I like the. Um, I I'm not a fan of his interview style, but I'm definitely. Why are you not a fan of his interview style? Let's just shit on Mark Marin. Yeah, let's let's have that be the intro. Uh, no, I, I I just think he's a little. Abrasive might be the word. Sure. Um, well, yeah, he's like a 1990s yeah. comic. But sometimes you'll get like good, insightful conversations from people totally. you wouldn't see otherwise. And totally. I think that's. Yeah, thus far I haven't had to get kind of uh, uh, like abrasive with guests. <laughs> uh, one borderline. Till now. If you're listening, <laughs> till now. One borderline, Dylan Geisler, if you're listening to this, you were fucking crazy when you were on this show. <laughs> He knows. I don't care. 
Uh, welcome to the show, Tulio. I'm yeah. so happy to have you. Thanks. Thanks uh, for having me. Of course, of course. So let's just start the way I start all of them, and then we can do whatever we want after that. So yeah. just uh, introduce yourself to my audience, which are mostly my mom's friends. I decided that's the name of my fan base is yeah. my mom's friends. Like how, uh, what is it? Like Chris Gethard has like the Geth heads and yeah. stuff like that. My fan base is called my mom's friends. That's great. So, now you know how to, how yeah. to market. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So introduce <laughs> yourself and tell us uh, where you're from, where your parents from. Like give us a general background on your background. <laughs> Got it. Um, so my name is Tulio Espinosa. I'm from Venezuela, originally born and raised there. My parents are also um, both Venezuelans, you know, I guess like ethnical background you want or yeah sure <laughs> or whatever you want to talk about yeah no i guess i mean we're obviously the product of post-colonialism and mm -hmm. all that stuff in latin america so we're mostly um descendants of europeans who immigrated many centuries ago um and um on my mom's side we're we have a big cuban side of the family as well my oh, okay. great-grandmother um, was Cuban. She was the daughter of some diplomats. And mm -hmm. so she, I don't think she lived in Cuba for a long time of her life because then she also married a diplomat. And so my grandmother, uh -huh. um, who is Cuban, was born in Switzerland, I think. And then they moved to New Orleans. And so that's where they grew up. And okay. my grandmother's sister and all of her family are, you know, they stayed here, and so I have cousins like Michael, Aaron, interesting, John. Like those who are real. Grew life. up in New Orleans or who, in other places. Yeah, they grew up in New Orleans, and then they moved around. Like some people are in Massachusetts, some in California, some in uh, Houston. Yeah, that's interesting. Say. So I'm like the Michael. I'm like the Michael for <laughs> yeah. real because I'm the one who grew up here. Where and my mom's the only one who immigrated here. So all my other cousins are like full-blooded Peruvians who yeah. grew up there. So like I feel like I am Michael. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, no, but yeah. So um, how did your how did your parents meet? My parents they met in Venezuela. I th yeah, they met there. Um, both of them um, were. Uh, just on the end of a divorce. So they mm -hmm. just kind of met, I guess, like late 20s, early 30s. Yeah. Um, they both got married very young. And then obviously because they're young and, you know, <laughs> yeah. straight out of college and all these things, those th – I mean, sometimes it works out and great for them, but like... Sure. Yeah, uh, no, my mom was the same. She... So my, so my mom... I'm the product of a second marriage, yeah. but I didn't learn this. So I... So I was hanging out with my mom. This is like maybe three or four years ago. We were like drinking at home, just like hanging out. We were both a little tipsy. Uh, and she just turns to me like a total gangster with a, with a glass of wine in her hand and just goes... You know I was married before your father, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like very drunk and I was just like what no no <laughs> i'm 20 i'm 22 you haven't you've never told me this and like a total like gangster again she just goes when would i when would i've told you that when would have been a good time to have that <laughs> <Yeah>. conversation <laughs> it's weird because so yeah it's weird when you i guess when you realize your parents are sexual beings and like were had yeah. a life had a, a, whole, a life. whole thing yeah before you ever existed um no, they told me – so they told me they were both uh, married before because it was around the time that I was uh, doing my first communion. Uh -huh. um, and, you know, I, I went to Catholic school in Venezuela, so it's just very um, proper, 
yeah. kind of Catholic upbringing. Are your, par- are your parents religious? No, um, my dad is. My mom is more just like spiritual, I'd say. Uh, okay. she, but I don't think she's been to church in a very long time. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I was doing my first communion and I started noticing that they didn't take communion in, mm. when we went to church. And so I started asking, like, why won't you, why, why don't you take communion? Interesting. And um, I think I asked a couple of times and they were like, yeah, I don't know. I didn't confess or like we missed church last week or, you know, the, the typical excuses yeah, for yeah, yeah. why for someone. bad Catholics. Yeah, for bad Catholics or Catholics light. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's a Coke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like diet Catholic. Catholicism zero. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they sat me down. I was like nine years old and they sat me down and they were like, um, yeah, the reason we don't take communion is because we were both married previously. And, you know, according to the church, we're not allowed to take right. communion because like if you're married um, under the church, mm-hmm. then the church doesn't recognize divorce. So you're technically still married to right. your first spouse and therefore – you are committing adultery, and therefore you cannot. What a fucking crazy take commun- institution! Yeah, <laughs> it's insane. And I, I remember telling that to, um, I don't know the one of the priests in school, mm-hmm. and he actually told me like, yeah, you are, you are a child of adultery, and I'm like, cool. I'm the. Uh, <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's yeah. great to hear. I um, actually never thought about how my abuela probably feels about this. I know she's not super happy because I never got confirmed. I did communion, and that was the last thing I did. We all sort of stopped giving a shit somewhere around when I was in fourth or fifth grade. Uh, and I think to this day, my abuela's a little, not upset, but like she's definitely not happy that I can't get like married in the church. Yeah, I mean, like you that. can. You just have sure. to confirm. Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Because <laughs> of shit. Yeah. No, confirmation is weird. Um so talk to me about talk to me about when, well when did you move here? So um, I moved here in 2014. So very very recently. Yeah, um, five five years ago at the time of this recording. Um, Got it. So let's so let's go chronologically. Uh, uh, talk to me about growing up in Venezuela. What that was like. What because most of my listeners again are my mom's friends. They don't know <laughs> shit about Venezuela. They, the only thing they know about Venezuela is what people on the news are saying about yeah. Venezuela. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up um uh, Venezuela, went to Catholic school Where? in Caracas. Mm-hmm. Um you know, all boys Catholic school kind of situation. Um it was also like a very narrow uh, not not narrow, sorry, small group social group where, you know, um access to <laughs> other parts of life I guess were very limited. You know, we grew up kind of um Upper middle, cl- upper middle class or upper class in the, you know, very shielded from mm. reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of crime. There's a lot of, um, you know, instability, mm-hmm. um, political, economical, social over there. And so, um, yeah, social circles tended to like keep to themselves right. a little bit, especially in those upper echelons. Do you remember when you started like feeling that you had been shielded from the reality of the country? Um, I don't know. I think, I mean, I think you, I always knew it because my, I think my parents really tried to, you know, um, kind of tell us and tell us about the world and what was happening. And and I think, you know, we were uh, somewhat exposed to it. Um, 
every day and you kind of knew like I, I've always grown up knowing that there's like something off right um, not only in this like little bubble that I grew up but also outside of it as right. well I don't remember really when I, I wasn't it wasn't like 25. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I that happens for some people. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I, I grew up in a pretty uh, affluent suburb that, you know, my mom and dad sort of worked to move us into this town that was, like, very rich and, like, there, it was a really good public school. Uh, and it, t- it took me a while, honestly, until probably mid to late high school to really realize how, like, shielded from yeah. what really goes on in this country I was. Yeah. No, and my school did, did a good job, I guess, of um, – making us more socially conscious, even though, I don't know, I, we can unpack that in a bit, but, like, I had sure, some problems yeah. with it. But, yeah, we, we went on a lot of, you know, missions and mm-hmm. um, going into rural areas and other places in the country uh, where a lot of, you know, low-income families were living and, you know, helping them. Um, wasn't really help. It was just, like, bringing God to them, but also mm-hmm. we brought some food kind yeah, of thing. Helping so, in quotations. Yeah, so it was kind of... Looking what, looking back, it's a little gross, but, you know, it was – we still helped. Like, we still helped, like, build stuff in the communities. And, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just um, God and food. It was, right. you know, other stuff. And I never asked, what do your parents do? So my mom is a nurse and my dad is um, financial advisor Got it. type. He worked in banking for a long time and then started his own firm back home. And then when my parents got divorced um, – it kind of like coincided with the first big oil strike that was happening in Venezuela. And mm-hmm. so when the oil companies and all the private sector in Venezuela went on strike for months mm-hmm. um, and everything closed for... And how old were you when this was happening? This was 2002 to 2003. So I was 15. Mm-hmm. Um, and so around that time was also when they... Uh, started separating and so my parents were concerned that me and my two sisters were going to lose the school year Mm. so they sent us uh with my mom to miami to kind of like finish the school year there oh and then after the school year my mom was like i'm not going back (laughs) (laughs) wow okay and so she stayed here with my two sisters and then i went back to um venezuela because so she stayed in miami she stayed in miami um and, yeah, my two younger sisters stayed with her, and then I went back. Um, I don't know, a combination of reasons. I think I was in that weird uh, stage where I had friends back home. I didn't want to make new friends. Mm-hmm. I, I was just, like, I in, was exactly the same way. in a very comfortable position back home. I was home. exactly the same way. My mom, to this day, but always want she'll object to this, but like always wanted me to move abroad at least for a little while because that's what she did. And she sort of really encouraged my sister and I to do the same thing. But I was the exact same way. I was like, I have friends here, dude. I'm not, I can't, I can't go away from my friends. (laughs) Like I can't lose that. It's such a weird impulse. Yeah. So did you, you finished, you went to high school here? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, And she, it wasn't like she wanted to send me to high school in another country, but definitely for, for college, like that was a big big thing yeah. for her. She was like, I think you really should consider going to Europe or something like that. Um, but I never, I couldn't do it. Yeah. I wanted to stay here. <laughs> no, yeah. It's a weird thing of like, I don't know, especially when you're a teenager, you, you're really trying to fit in. And yeah. uh, at the time also like I didn't, I was struggling with coming to terms with my sexuality and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So it was just 
even though I was in America, which is arguably a more um, liberal space than um, Catholic (laughs) Venezuela. (laughs) Um, And Miami, which is very, like, everyone does whatever the fuck they want and nobody cares. But a lot of conservative Cubans in Miami. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And so, I don't know. For me, it was more like going back to what I knew. Um, Mm. And there was also... A guy in my class that sure. there there was sure, sure, sure. some romantic interest there, which was ended up being a mess. But you know, sure. um, so since we since we touched on it, talk to me about like dealing with your sexuality in Venezuela in the early two thousands. Like, what was that like? What was the climate like for uh, that? I mean, I truly was convinced for a very long time that I wasn't gay. I I just liked some guys. I was like, I like him. You know, oh, got it, got it, got it. Got um, it. You were you were case by case. Yeah, yeah. Gay. It was like case by case gay. <laughs> like you know, present all the evidence and then I will make a choice because it is a choice. I'm kidding. It's not a choice. Um, and so yeah, it was that was kind of the way I rationalized it. I was like thinking, you know, um, it's it's a sin, and so that there were there there was a lot of the Catholic mm. guilt. And how early was this was this popping up for you? Um. I don't know. I, I mean, since I was a boy, I think. Um, mm. But th- I think I started, you know, acting on it a little more um, in my teens, like 12, 13, 14. I started kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, feeling those things more profoundly. Um, but, yeah, it would always manifest itself as like intense crushes on my friends. Mm-hmm. And so it got to a point where I had to kind of diversify my group of friendships because like I would get so attached to what this one person. Right. And so it was like, this is weird. I'm freaking people out. Like I'm being weird. And so <laughs> <laughs> I need to like be more like have more friends basically. So I can kind of like not Got get obsessed with one person, and got I know it. that word is, I guess, it's weird. But like, you're a teenager, and like, no, of course, yeah. I absolutely got obsessed with people when I was yeah. a teenager. Shit, I get obsessed <laughs> with people now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how it presented itself initially, and then, um, yeah, you know, sometimes things happened. In uh, I don't know. I think this. Sorry, let me go back to that. Um, sometimes you know when you are. In a all boys Catholic school, mm-hmm. all teenagers, all very hormonal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes shit will go down, and like <laughs> I can imagine, things will happen, and you start, you know, touching each other a little bit. And Honestly, start... this sounds like a Netflix original series. I mean, an all boys Catholic school in Venezuela. That that is in the li- middle of an oil strike. Yes, that is also that is literally every movie in the <laughs> LGBT genre on Netflix. <laughs> like it starts out that way, <laughs> like repressed Catholic boys. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so yeah, like some that kind of stuff happened, and you know, like people. People experiment in their teens and like a, a lot of classmates that I grew up with that we had some sort of like sexual stuff in our teens like are now married with mm-hmm. wives and kids and like they're happy and like that doesn't mean they're gay. It just means that like, you know, mm-hmm. they experimented yeah. with it. Um, but yeah, so that kind of started happening a little more. And then um, I there was this one guy in class um, 
that kind of became, you know, more consistent, let's say. <laughs> and so, but yeah, so I don't know. It was weird because we masked it all. It was like, we're best friends. We're best friends. This so is So you weird. were hiding it. it was... We were hiding it even from ourselves. Like we didn't really like yeah. talk about it. It was always like, like during a sleepover or something like that, that things would happen. And right. then like the next morning it's like, Got everything's it. cool. And do you think that like that, um, that, secretiveness came more from the religious pressure or just the general country's pressure? I think both. I think definitely it was, you know, you grow up with a lot of homophobic uh, just content around you all the time. And, you know, people say a lot of... um, In Peru too, man. Yeah. No, like, like, and and like literally though in our, in our language in Venezuela, like, the same way as in Colombia, like they say marica or marico, mm-hmm. which means fag. Yeah. Um, sorry, Adrian's mom's friends. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which means that, and that, that's just like part, that's like the way we say dude. Yeah. It's like, hey, fag, come on over. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Let's it's play. way more casual. It's super casual. It's very like in your face about it. And so, you know, there was definitely that fear of getting discovered and then, um, Having people bully you for it, having people um, do worse things yeah, to you for it. Fear and, of violence, for sure. Because, um, yeah, even the guys in class who were decidedly not gay, like, they would still get bullied for being gay. Right. You know? yeah. So, yeah, it was definitely, like, that fear of coming out, um, getting discovered, and then also the fear of thinking that there is a hell and you are going to it. And then, yeah. Um, so did you, did you come out while you were still living in Venezuela or when you had moved here? Yeah, no. So or I, when you were visiting Miami, I guess. Yeah, no. So when I went back to Venezuela, I graduated high school, took a year abroad, followed your mom's advice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> where'd you go? Paris. And, uh, which was, nice. yeah, it was the best. I think. What were you doing? Were you just hanging out? Were you working or? Um, I initially went to like learn French, I guess. <laughs> Very, like, privileged, bougie <laughs> shit. It's just like, I'm just going to go to Paris and learn French. Oh, my uh, God. No, but when I was there, like, the first month, I was like, this is, I am wasting my time. Like, I'm taking, like, two two classes a week, like, Monday and Thursday. And then at, I, like, a, at a university? Yeah, okay. at, uh, the Sorbonne in Paris. And oh, then, wow. Um, yeah, but I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, this is truly ridiculous. So how do I make this even more ridiculous? I signed up for a culinary arts program. And so Ooh. I just studied cuisine and pastry for a whole year. It was like oh an my intensive. God. So I went from like having a lot of free time and just like exploring the city and like going mm-hmm. to the museums and like, I don't know, learning French and be- being Parisian or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I went to like Monday to Saturday 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. every day Jesus. cooking and cooking. And it was honestly the best, I think, the best thing I've ever done with my life because yeah. it was like the And cool. did you like cooking before that or was yeah. this a random? Okay. No, I really liked it. Um, my parents gave me like a like a cookbook for kids when I was young and mm-hmm. I just um, really, I made all the recipes in it and like, I don't know, it was, it was cute. That's great. I wish I was a better cook. I'm trying yeah. to get better. 
Have, what's your what's your dish of choice? Right now, it's empanadas. Like, I do just, you? Ma- oh, oh, right. I yeah, saw yeah, yeah. it on your story. Yes, yes, yes. Because I was doing them as a promotion for the show that is next week. I'm going to drop this this week. I just decided <laughs> this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Monday, uh, September 23rd at 7 p.m. at Caveat. That's right. right. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. Thank you so so. Much I follow Adrian on Instagram. So should as you, you all should. <laughs> as you all should. My mom's friends who happen to have Instagram. Uh, no, but I've gotten really good at making my mom's recipe. Because in Venezuela, do they bake them? Do they um, fry them? We we fry it. Okay. And we do yeah. them with... Fuck you guys. Fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but also we do them with uh, cornmeal instead of um, ah. instead of wheat flour. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, that that's kind of like the key difference. So you can't really bake right. a cornmeal. Yeah, we, ours, ours are baked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like and the but, Argentinian style. Yeah, yeah, but sure, but we're Peruvian. better. We're better. <laughs> I know. We're way better. Yeah, I mean, I... I think there is no competition between Peruvian food and Argentinian food. Like, I think Peruvian is far superior. Thank you. Yeah. That's the correct answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just fucking around. Uh, yeah, no, but that's the one one I've gotten really good at. But I want to keep, I was telling my mom the other day, I want to get better at cooking Peruvian dishes because uh, yeah. I don't have a ton of experience in it. And the food is so good, so yeah. why not? Uh, where? How did we get here? Oh, right, you're in Paris. Yeah. So I'm uh, in Paris. <laughs> you're in Paris for a year, yeah. and then you go back to Venezuela? So, yeah, I go back to Venezuela, and, like, during that time that I was outside of Venezuela, I started very, like, not even, just very subtly, like, looking at other things outside of my comfort zone. Uh-huh. Because, um, yeah, I think the the classes allowed me to just, again, shield myself from the world and just, like, be, you know, doing something I love day in and day out, which was great. And, like, I made a ton of friends and it was a wonderful experience. But I definitely didn't venture into kind of, like, the gay world in mm-hmm. in Paris, which I probably should have because yeah. it would have been very fun. I'm sure. But you were too busy making pastries. I was bas- busy making pastries and busy being guilty. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, yeah, I so I had a girlfriend at the time and she came to visit me and then – um, she started asking, like, why aren't we having sex? Mm. Um, and so, how long had you been together? Not much. I mean, we had kind of like, like hooked up a little bit. And, okay. I mean, just like made out. Got it. Got it. Like, got it. High school hooked up, or like my high school hooked up. Oh no, for me too. And <laughs> high school hooked, hooked hooked up with someone meant you made out with. Yeah, them. yeah. So yeah, like made out a couple times, and you know, texted, um, or like. Skyped, oh, which the was romance of the century. Yeah, no, because it was that was that was we had MSN Messenger and Skype at yes. the time, kids. Um, MSN Messenger, <laughs> let's go. Um, so yeah, just like talking a lot, and she came to visit me while I was there the first time in and, Paris. In Paris, mm. and then we just kind of like hung out as friends. Oof, and she was like, "I'm going to visit my boyfriend in Paris." Well, the first time we weren't officially dating so she like we were close friends and so she came to visit and Mm -hmm. stay with me and we had an amazing time and it was so cool and like she is still one of my closest friends um and then um a couple months like after that trip we started like talking a little more romantically and then a couple months later she came again Mm -hmm. um she was gonna stay for like like a good three weeks um and yeah, we were, we were, it was just like, it was great, but we weren't having sex. We weren't having sex. And she was like, okay, like what's, what's, what's like, going on? Yeah. Like you're, you're 19. Let's, let's, uh, let's pop that cherry. Um, <laughs> and, um, stop feeding me pastries. We're yeah. in Paris, dude. Let's go. <laughs> um, 
And uh, I, in a massively dick move, I decided to come out um, there with like three weeks, like, I don't know, two and a half weeks left of her trip. Wow. And wow. yeah, it was awful. I feel I've always felt terrible about it. Um, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's your truth. No, it's my truth. And she, so she's the first person I came out to and she just was and continues to be such an, an important, um, you know, person in my life who supported me. That's beautiful. Yeah. It was, it was so beautiful, but I definitely like, I didn't know what to do. And like, I cried and I just felt it was like a, a mix of the guilt of being it and then the guilt of saying it and yeah. ruining someone's trip. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were kids and, like, we we really cared about each other, but it's not like, you know, we were, like, deeply in love or committed. Right, it was just, right. like, a, you know, teenage yeah. fling. Like, it wasn't... Sure, but at the end of the day, the fact that you but felt... But it felt The huge. fact that you felt safe yeah. telling her that. Yeah. And probably the fact that you were in a different country made you feel a little yeah. safer, too. No, it, it definitely... It felt huge at the time, and so um, she was very much like, okay, so well, what's next? What do you want to do? Because, like, I remember... Back to what I was saying, I, I, I was... For a very long time, I didn't want to be gay, and, like, I, I knew it in my head, kind of, like, conceptually, like started to come to terms with the fact that like, oh, I might be gay. But then it was like, okay, how do I, how do I fix this kind of? Mm. Um, that was my approach for a very long time. And so when I came out to her, I also told her like, yeah, I don't want to be gay. And so she was like, oh, I don't, uh, I don't I know think, if you're going to do that. I don't think that's how that works. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. But she was nice enough to like, <laughs> she was like, okay, I'll help you like <laughs> not be gay if you want. And I mean, so, I have three weeks left on my trip. <laughs> No, it was more like she helped me find a, like, a psychologist mm, that, wow. um, I don't know, dealt with that kind of stuff. Mm. I wouldn't – I went to one session with her. I wouldn't call her a conversion therapist because she wasn't. She was, like, a clinical psychologist but a conservative one at that. And so I think her approach was very much like, you know, you can – you can change this if you want and you mm -hmm. have to pray, but you have to, you have to do the work kind of thing. So I guess she was a conversion therapist. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a, a light, a light yeah, conversion a, therapist. Yeah, a Catholic light wow. conversion therapist. And how long did you see her? No, I just saw her once and oh, I was okay. like, okay, this is not. This is fucked. I don't know, this is weird. <laughs> but she recommended. So this was like right after my year in Paris finished. So I went back to Venezuela. And mm -hmm. so she recommended an organization there. Um, called Zapatos Nuevos or like New Shoes. Mm -hmm. um, and it was very basically like a group therapy thing that you went and I don't know. It was weird. It, it, it was kind of like AA a little bit. Like wow. people just said like I used to be gay and drugs and sex and disease. And Why was it called things. Zapatos Nuevos? I don't know because like. You put in. You put on your new, straight shoes. Yeah, like, you I put on your hetero shoes. <laughs> like put on your hetero shoes. Yeah, and um, all the testimonials were very similar. It's just like I was leading a life of depression, sadness, um, you know, promiscuity, drugs, all these things mm -hmm. that were ruining my life. And then I found Jesus, and everything's fine. And it's just like when really Jesus was to blame in the first place. <laughs> I don't know if he's to blame, but definitely like. I was like, no, I grew up Catholic. I uh -huh. know bullshit when I see it. And so it's like, this is not 
yeah. this is not healthy. This is not what it is. So thankfully, and I think, I, and I truly think it was the fact that I spent a year outside of my social mm-hmm. circle that really helped me kind of realize like, no, this is not, yeah. this is not what this is. And like, I don't want to be a part of it. It really shifts your perspective. Yeah. And so I, um, still, I wanted to fix it. So I was like, okay, religion's not going to fix this. So like, maybe I'll go to like a hypnotherapist or something. This is all real. Yeah, so wow, I, wow. I was just like, I will get hypnotized. <laughs> Can't believe that's actually what my thought process was. But yeah, so I was like, okay, I'll get hypnotized. And you're like 19, 20. I'm at 19 okay. yeah, at that point. And so I talked to a friend who had some sort of um, mushroom-induced panic attack. Okay. And he had to go to a psychiatrist and get on meds and stuff to, like, kind of get squared away. And he he it worked, and he was doing well. And mm-hmm. so I was just like, okay, I'm going to... And he said, like, yeah, you should talk to her. She's great. Um, he didn't know at the time uh, why I wanted to talk to her. So I mm-hmm. just went to her and, um, like, saved up some money and went to um, her practice and sat down and was like, okay, I'm gay. I think I'm gay. You need to fix it. I don't know what you need to do. Like, And I just started throwing, like, whatever <laughs> – like bullshit she's, Wikipedia like psychological she's, like she's at the genius bar and yeah, you're yeah. like listen I have Apple Care just yeah. repair it I have it. Apple Care yeah <laughs> it's like the screen's broken just like do whatever you need to do and she very kindly and patiently walked me through how that is not possible mm. um, and I was so angry and so upset that I was like you're supposed to I just got super angry right. and she was like no this is not how this works and if you want to work with me, we're going to get you through this and you'll you'll be better on the other side and you'll accept yourself and you'll you'll be happier, but you need to do the work. Mm. And I left, I remember leaving her office so upset and so angry. Um, but then I called her again, wow. like something, I don't know, something truly inside me was like, no, this, this makes sense. Yeah. Like it, it kind of clicked. And so... I just uh, called her again, went to therapy with her for, like, two years behind my parents' back. It's just, like, very, like, wow. low-key, uh, secretive. Because also, like, therapy is weak, right. yeah. you know? <laughs> like that, yeah, no, that. There's, it's very similar. Thankfully, my family hasn't – well, my immediate family, like, my mom hasn't been that way. Yeah. Uh, well, I saw a therapist as a kid because of my dad dying, and that was sort of opened the door of, like, yeah, you should probably, like, do this. This is yeah. a good thing. But I think definitely – uh, especially in Peru, but also the other side of my family are Irish Catholic. Oh, yeah. And in that community, it's like it's even worse. Like the whole idea of being weak is, yeah. is, is, is really prevalent. Yeah, it's a sign of weakness. So it's yeah. also just like there were so many layers of embarrassment for me about admitting that I was going to therapy. So um, – but yeah, I did, and it really helped. So like slowly, 20, 21, 22, I started coming out to a very close group of friends. Um, started going on like dates, started meeting meeting other you know queer people, and mm. I was like, oh, there's there's other people like me <laughs> who yeah. are going through similar experiences, and and I'm not alone. And that that moment when you realize that you're not alone, even in in a place where, you know, everything points to the fact that you might be alone. Right. Um, it, it was really um, refreshing and, 
it, it was just a huge relief. But then it also started to kind of motivate me more to think about leaving because, mm. you know, um, what kind of life really am I going to have there? And, and, you know, I eventually ended up coming out to everyone, basically my family, my friends, and, mm. you know, I think I would be able to have a semi-normal life right now, and it's been relatively accepting and to my surprise, you know, which was was I was expecting all of my friends to, like, shut me out completely, and mm. they ended up being really nice. But, yeah, there's still, like, a, a lot of deep homophobia, misogyny entrenched in just, like, our, our culture. Yeah. And so, yeah, I started to think about ways that I can have a life for myself that is more aligned with who I am inside and, like, being a little just more authentic. And, yeah, coming to New York just seemed like the natural yeah. um, progression for that. Um, so yeah, long I mean, story short. The New, York, <laughs> the New York artist community is a solid place to go if that's what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, or just, I mean, yeah. And we haven't even touched on, like, creative stuff. Were you, I mean, are, be, being involved in the culinary arts is definitely a solid background, but were you interested in performing and writing before you moved here? Um, writing, yes. Um, performing, it was always kind of, I don't know. Now, when I look back, I think I always liked performing, but it was never something that I, um, I don't know, thought about. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess I remember being like in the choir in, That's something. That's <laughs> in something. school and like that was nice. I liked winning the spelling bees. Like you I like won the spelling bees. Yes. Wow. Uh, in English and Spanish. Holy Thank shit. you. <laughs> so yeah, I was just like the spelling bees and like the poetry contest and like the the yeah. the speed reading, not speed reading. Um, just like there were like reading contests where you just uh -huh. like read pieces aloud like a story or something and that oh, was okay. something like oratory yeah like oratory kind of yeah, yeah. um public speaking like all that stuff i i realize now that it was nerve-wracking and i was so intensely nervous of being on stage but then yeah i guess like you know as a performer you like the the feeling of applause <laughs> and yeah, praise totally. and so or just recognition just yeah. like feeling seen by people especially in a scenario where so many parts of yourself had to be hidden yeah like to have people look at you and be like good job is yeah. a very is a very meaningful thing yeah so um when i moved to new york i wasn't really thinking about performing or anything i've always wanted to be a writer and so i kept mm -hmm. you know writing for myself and uh, writing short stories and fiction and all that stuff and looking into writing courses um and <laughs> i remember like the first couple of months i was in new york just like trying to figure out applying for jobs what am mm -hmm. i going to do i started working freelance doing copywriting and doing um you know, I did some catering as well, freelance mm -hmm. for a while. Um, but it was very just me by myself or just whenever I needed to go to the events um, for catering. Um, so I didn't really have any friends when I moved here. I didn't know much people. My roommate was a good friend of mine, so that was easy. And then we just, mm -hmm. like, went to the gay bars in Hell's Kitchen. Got um, it. And where were you living at the time? Uh, he was – so he had an apartment on the Upper East Side on York and – York and 78th. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting neighborhood to first move to. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of like 
53-year-old white women in yoga pants. Yeah, yeah. And, it, I mean, it was very quiet and chill and residential, and we lived in this, like, tiny two-bedroom apartment that didn't even have a living room, mm-hmm. um, which probably means that one of the rooms was supposed to be the living room. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, it was, like, cheap, and we – I liked it, and I didn't really have an office job or anything, mm-hmm. so it was a great place to just work there. Um and then I Googled, I remember just a couple of months in, okay, I need to take a class. I need to do something to make friends. So I Googled how to get on Saturday Night Live, which is the most basic thing I have ever done in my entire life. Well, now we both, in light of recent events, we both know the way you get on Saturday Night Live is, is to do being, a racist podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> so hold if your, you wanted to say something super racist, yeah. Lord Michaels will probably call you in, we in have, 10 minutes. Yeah, we have, we have some time to be racist, so <laughs> brace yourself. Um, Shout outs to Shane Gillis. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That situation is so fucked up. Yeah, what a, what a fucking tool um, um I, i'm assuming he probably googled how to get on snl probably probably so <laughs> but we're digressing yeah, so, you so, googled, I, so you googled how to get on snl i yeah literally just googled how to become i, I google how to become a writer on snl because oh. i wanted to be i still want to i am a writer right. i don't want to be so humor was interesting to you yeah, yeah yeah i was like i mean i've always loved comedy i grew up watching snl grew up yeah. watching mm, stand-up comedy specials mm-hmm. that like the robin williams hbo specials totally. and that kind of stuff and um, all the late night shows. Or, yeah, it was just like a big part of um, the culture I consumed mm-hmm. growing up. So it was very much deep into my sense of humor and all these things. And I've always been like my the clown in like my group of friends. So mm-hmm. I was like, oh, you should try stand up. You should try stand up. You should yeah, do comedy. It's I've like, gotten that for a lot of my life. Yeah. yeah. So it was just like I always did like in school I did like my – I did impressions of all the teachers and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was, uh, it, it just felt like uh, I'm always performing on some level <laughs> mm. uh, with my I friends or my family. I that. I, re- I was saying shit like that to my therapist this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it, it's, it seems like, like I'm always on, you yeah. know? And so I was like, okay, maybe I should. I should look into it. So and I what look... better way to exacerbate that problem than to become a comedian? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that at the yeah, time. Of course, you know? none of us did. So, yeah, I Googled that. And then there was a New York Times article that said, like, basically where where people on SNL come, like, are sourced from, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so it was basically Second City, uh, Groundlings, uh, and UCB. That's right. what the right. article said yeah. that we know that, you know, some, in some cases they find like Andy Samberg, they found him on YouTube and that right, kind of stuff. Right. But like, um, yeah. So it was like people who take classes. I don't know. The article was super weird and vague. And I was like, okay, well I'm not in Chicago and I'm not in LA. So I'll just go to UCB. Yeah. Um, and so I, uh, I went to a show at UCB and I saw, what was the name of the team? I saw Death by Ruru and it oh, had like wow. a Tamanic and like all yeah. like that. They were one of my first shows too. But my first show ever, I was in high school, I saw The Stepfathers. Yeah. And it was like Gethard, Zach Woods, Shannon O'Neill, Bobby Moynihan, like that crew. Yeah. No, yeah. So it's it was insane. It was like the most insane experience. In, insane is not a good word. It was just like I went to that show not knowing what to expect. Um, and then I I saw what those people did on stage. It was like holy shit, this is amazing. Yeah. And so the following week, I went 
to a, fr- a friend of mine invited me to a Triple Crown show. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay, so for my mom's friends, just to give you context, uh, when uh, you hear a comedian say a Triple Crown show, the Triple Crown is a bar on 7th Avenue and 29th Street that uh, has a what can only be described as a dungeon yeah. in its basement. Uh, it's this poorly tiny, ventilated, poorly ventilated. Like every time I do a show, I, I haven't performed there in a long time, but every time I do something there, I feel like I am going to suffocate yeah. down there. Yeah. It's this the, tiny little room where like early career comedians go to try their stuff out. Yeah. It was, uh, it was intense. And so, so you went from seeing one of the best shows in the city to a triple crown to a show. triple crown <laughs> show. But so this, this friend of mine invited me to the show because she is friends with Joanna Hausman, who mm-hmm. is now a really good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And she, so I was there and like, I saw her and that's when I met Joanna and we just like got to talking after the, the, um, her show and it was like a shitty improv indie team show mm-hmm. a triple crown sure um and we just started talking she was like yeah you should take a class you should do you this should, is joanna saying joanna this? saying yeah you should totally take a class who yeah. is also venezuelan right? yeah 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 so yeah, this mutual friend is also Venezuelan. So she kind of like introduced uh, introduced us, and Got it. we really hit it off. And I saw I was like, okay, I can't, I can definitely not do what Death by Ruru did, but I can definitely do what I saw down here at the Triple Crown. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so I signed up for yeah, I signed up for one hundred and one, um, and then I also signed up for Sketch one hundred and one, and just like went through the whole program and fully got immersed totally. into like the UCB scene um for f- uh, 4 years now. Yeah. Um and um it is a great way. I mean, I don't have the experience of someone who moved to New York cuz I'm from like just outside the city, but I I'd imagine it is a great way if you don't already have a network of people here to yeah. like build a tribe, so to speak. Yeah. No, and and it took me a while cuz like, you know, I don't know if you know this, but comedians are um weird people. Um <laughs> And socially awkward people yeah. who yeah, yeah, yeah. sometimes don't know how but, to but, establish meaningful friendships. Every every so often, there's one like financial business person who happens to be like amazing at comedy, yeah. and they're yeah. in their room, and you're like, "What the fuck? <laughs> what What are you doing here?" <laughs> Some like successful person who like comes and takes an improv class for yeah. fun, and they're like amazing a at it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um. So yeah, it was just a. Uh, it, it took me a while to make friends, but I, I just really liked it and I just kept taking classes and, you yeah. know, performing more and, and it definitely um, – And not that it's a competition, but did sketch writing sort of like appeal to you a little bit more than improv since you were more interested in writing? I was definitely more interested in writing. So what happened is I I went – I finished the writing program first because I was like I, I, I want to write, you know. But then improv just kind of like pulled me in slowly mm-hmm. like – it, between my two, my level two class and my level three class, um, it was like a year and a half because I was like, I'm just going to do the sketch program. I, I did characters as well. And like, got it, got it. I was trying to do stand-up. You really jumped in. I did everything. That's great. <laughs> I also did musical improv. <laughs> ah, so did I. It's just great. not at UCB. No, I mean, it's it's my favorite, my favorite form of improv. It's the best. Yeah, um, yeah. But... Yeah, something just like kept um, calling me to do it, and I I finished the whole level, you know, done perf- like performances there, classes, mm-hmm. 
uh, hosted a couple shows there. I yes, tell us about, there. Tell us about tell us about your shows that you host. Um, so I host. Uh, I used to host a show called Azúcar, um, which is was a, a Latino and Hispanic variety show. Um, did it for a couple of years outside of. In, in you know like indie bars and mm-hmm. weird venues <laughs> all over the city <laughs> um and i also host another improv show at ucb called gato culo which is basically latino ask cat ask cat is basically um i don't know it's just like it's a, ucb's flagship it's, yeah show. it's ucb's flagship show it's basically they they invite a guest the guest does a monologue and then people just like fuck around for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided like why reinvent the wheel, you know, like just <laughs> take that format. It's, it's a good way to take it, do make it. it Latino. And, yeah. And take it, make it, it Latino. And like, ha- and it's been such a good fun experience and the, the reception of the show has been great. And people, um, yeah, like come up to us or like the other day we got an email for like to the, to the UCB, um, email saying that mm-hmm. like that show was great and you know uh, as a as a Mexican just like seeing that kind of stuff on stage really makes me happy and you know motivates me to like keep going and that kind of stuff and that's great yeah so it's that's those are the kind of comments that make it all worth it I've absolutely. gotten one or two of those just from this show and yeah. it's like it keeps you going yeah yeah no matter how well the show is selling or whatever whatever yeah it, it's it definitely just like pushes you it, it lets you know that you're onto something cool and you're onto something that people respond to. And and that's kind of what has been my goal since I started producing and doing more shows um, more than performing because I, I rarely perform anymore. I just yeah. like put, put shows together. Um, and it's definitely for me more about just creating community and creating a space where people can um, be themselves and a space where people can be try out weird experimental things that, you know, like maybe they won't be able to do in a traditional open mic in the city, you know, like maybe you have a, a, like I had a guest at Azucar once that did a song about like um, spring breakers in Cancun because she's like from from Cancun. And so it's just like a whole thing about how American spring breakers come to um, just ruin everything. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's just the kind of thing that you get to see in a space like that, which is really cool. Yeah, Um, that's beautiful. And we don't, yeah, we don't shy away from talking politics and we don't shy away from, like, talking about bigger issues uh, that immigrants, uh, Latinos, Hispanics, um, LGBT people, everyone in that kind of minority group faces here in the the U.S. right now in this current political climate. I don't know if you've been following the news. I I don't know if you've heard this thing called the news. The news? Twitter? (laughs) Heard of it? Um... As I do want to briefly touch on well, – we're winding down on time, but yeah. briefly I do want to touch on because we talked about this the last time we hung out uh, yeah. off mic, as they yeah. say, in the industry. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, I'm really curious. You're the first Venezuelan I've had on the show, and I, I'm not even Venezuelan, but I – constantly hear Americans kind of talking shit, but they don't really know anything about what's going on. I'm just curious, like, what your experience is as a Venezuelan immigrant here right now. Um, okay, I'll try to be brief. <laughs> I mean, not, I'm not saying... No, no, like I don't know. No. It's just like, I could, I could, I could go off for a while. Um, so just tell me to shut up. Great, um, I will, I will. Um... It's been it's been interesting because, you know, I grew up 
I don't have much memory of what my life was before my country was like Venezuela was in chaos, basically. Hmm. I don't have much recollection of what what it used to be, you know? So all I've known or all I can remember is that feeling of, you know, people in power um, abusing it and corrupt and being corrupted by it yeah. and uh, getting away with sometimes literal murder and, like, you know, impunity and not having to be held accountable for their actions. And, you know, I, you can argue, ideologically speaking, you can argue whether or not um, Chavez was right mm -hmm. or not in certain things. I go back and forth with it myself. I think, you know, one thing is what you think and what you believe in ideologically. And one other very different thing is what you end up actually doing right? Um, and how you end up using that ideology. If you're using it to make people's lives better, then great. But if you're using it as a banner to um, consolidate more and more power for yourself, mm. uh, then you're not really what you're claiming to be. That's well put. Um, so for me, you know, growing up – in that situation coming here, it was like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of escaping <laughs> this situation because the economy has been ruined. The, the instability in the, in the country has been ruined. There is no way to live a normal life mm. here. Um, and you add on top of that all the, like, personal issues about, you know, sexuality and being gay in Venezuela and all that stuff. It, it was just for me a way to just, I need to get out of here. And yeah. then I need to go to a place where people are more open-minded, where things work, where people aren't stealing from taxpayers, where people mm -hmm. aren't, you know, uh, allowing drug trade to go roam freely through the country and right. like taking over spaces and, I mean, little did I know. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are now. And here well, we I think are. It's, a, it's an interesting thing for people to hear. It's an interesting thing for my mom's <laughs> friends to hear uh, who grew up here. The way you began that, it's a it's a subtle distinction, but a really strong psychological distinction to to be used to the, the feeling of people in power are getting away with these horrible things. Yeah. Because that's not how I grew up. And that's not how most people grow up here, even though you could argue that that type of that's thing. That's been happening. It's been yeah. happening. Uh, but the 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 feeling among the the people that that kind of thing is happening and yeah. mass uh, isn't there, and I just find that distinction really important and really yeah. fascinating. No, and I, and I think, um, you know, as someone who also we didn't touch on this, but I studied international relations and oh, like, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> so like I I I spent a good amount of time like reading right. about politics and international politics and, and political theory yeah. and, you know, how all these things tie together in this kind of globalized world that we're living in. And so I would say I'm kind of an anomaly. Um, I'd say ideology, ideologically speaking, not an anomaly, but just like a smaller group of people mm -hmm. who are progressive, mm -hmm. who, uh, you know, believe in, um, Healthcare, education, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> access to all those things, sure. uh, yeah. you know, normal common sense things, you yeah. know, 
uh, that, are, an, that we, are now being called progressive is just like, no, that's just right, common sense. Right, which is an interesting place to be in the in the climate of the current, like, Democratic primary yeah. race where there's this debate between, like, what democratic socialism means yeah. and what being a progressive means. And yeah. Venezuela is always used as a cudgel by Republicans. Yeah. as like, this is what socialism will do This is us. what socialism will look like. But, like, that when you, when you understand that what Chavez and Maduro are actually doing – Regardless of what they're saying, right. what they are actually doing is not socialism. Yeah. It is a military and party dictatorship with a lot of fascist tendencies. And, mm. you know, people don't seem to realize that that's what's going on because the rhetoric and the, the, the messaging that comes out is like, we hate America. America is an imperialist country. They have ruined the region and all that stuff, mm. which very much can be a narrative that is true. Yeah, in, there's a in, lot of truth to it. In many cases, you know. And so for progressives in for progressives in the US or for socialists in the US um who grew up here who don't know what life is like truly outside here. Mm. Um it's very easy to buy into that message and to buy into the fact that um, the opposition in Venezuela are these like right wing fascists who are puppets of the CIA and who mm. are, you know, doing America's bidding. Um, that is not to say that there are not people in the Venezuelan opposition who are fascists, who are sure. who align very much with the Republican Party here in the United States or the, the current iter iteration of the mm -hmm. Republican Party. Um, but most people there just want a life yeah. to live. You know, most people in the opposition and most people in the country right now, Maduro has the lowest approval rating in history yeah. that he's ever had. And, you know, most people in the country just want things to work. They just want their roads fixed. They just want food when they go to the supermarket. They want their money to be enough to have a life, which yeah. is not the case right now. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it's very easy. I mean, we talked about... We started this whole episode talking about the ways that we as kids were shielded from the world but yeah. i think in uh, growing up in america in general shields you from the reality of the yeah. world outside of it a lot and it's very easy whether you're whatever part of the political spectrum you're on to to view countries outside of the u.s as just these like abstract political yeah. narratives as opposed to actual people who yeah. like you said just want to like lead a dignified life yeah and so it's 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 been very frustrating for me to see, <laughs> sorry, uh, Tulio just puked. He just, just he just vomited all vomit over the studio table. <laughs> um, no, it's it's just been very difficult for me, you know, as someone who very much does not align with the Republican Party's values and beliefs, not only economic but also social. It's just like in many ways, I just don't agree with mm -hmm. what they're doing. Uh, or what they have been doing historically as someone who just became a U.S. citizen. Hey, uh, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> and, I hope everybody's clapping at home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as someone who's just became a U.S. citizen and who is definitely going to vote for Elizabeth Warren in the primaries, hey. um, I don't I, – it just it's, – it's very hard for me to understand why some of the people that I align with here, who, that I agree with here, mm -hmm. are not really – Take, making the effort to understand what is actually going on mm. back there. And um, it happens with everything. And I just think, you know, if you grow up in America, 
and you consume American media and you only consume American media in English, mm. you probably will not have a comprehensive understanding of what's going on in any given situation outside of America. Because, like, even if you grew up in America and consume only American media, you probably won't even have a good understanding of what's happening in America. Yeah. And so <laughs> it's just – it's very frustrating to me. And I think, you know, social media has also exacerbated all these For frustrations because, sure. like – people on Twitter are the best, you know, just the best, people. <laughs> the best people and always spreading true information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so it's just, it's, it's, it's been very frustrating to me, um, to see, you know, celebrities or even politicians that I look up to personally, mm -hmm. um, not really take the stand that needs to be taken mm -hmm. against someone who is objectively just evil. Yeah. Um, and who is harming people every single day, yeah. you know? And so, again, regardless of your ideology, and, like, I, I really don't think Republicans have a better grasp on it, and just because Donald Trump um, took, like, a kind of... The a, hard line with Maduro. A, a hard line with Maduro. It, it, I mean, a broken clock is right twice a day. It doesn't yeah. mean a goddamn thing. And yeah. like yeah, yeah, what yeah. he's actually doing is not helping anyone. Right. And so that is also just like some bullshit narrative that both Republicans and the more conservative factions of the Venezuelan opposition have, you know, just like bought into it completely. Mm. And they're like, you know, pro Reagan and pro Trump and pro Bush and all these things. Right. Like, OK, let's calm down. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's just it's it's. Uh, It's frustrating, but I've I've started to just learn to let it slide a little bit. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I read the news from media, from verifiable news sources back home, not Telesur. And because like Telesur mm -hmm. is basically a arm, like a propaganda arm for the Maduro regime. They are financed by the Venezuelan government. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the English information that comes from Telesur is obviously biased in a way that is not accurate <laughs> information. Yeah. And so I try to consume other media outlets in Spanish and, and, and from verifiable sources to keep me like more informed about you what's going on. You hear that, everybody? Verifiable sources. Yeah. <laughs> verifiable Source. sources. And so... Um, And also, like, actual firsthand testimony. Like, people can say all what, all the things that they want to believe about what they think is going on in Venezuela. But, like, if you actually talk to the people who are there, pick up a phone, talk to someone, and tell them to just, to, like, walk you through their day. Mm. It's insane. Like, yeah. everything, every single step of the way in a normal day in Venezuela has a obstacle after, after obstacle that you just have to overcome to, I don't know, withdraw money from the bank. Yeah. Like a simple task like that is just complicated. Yeah, things that we take for granted yeah. in our everyday life. So I've, I've been better at just letting it slide a little more. And there is conceptual space for someone to be 100% wrong about what's going on in Venezuela, but then be right about yeah. All other things. Which I think is a, a very unique dance that, that progressive Venezuelans in this country need to do. Yeah. Because, like, I'm, I'm definitely not voting for 
I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not voting for Republicans in, in 2020, yeah. you yeah. know, like, and it's just, um, you have to really like separate and compartmentalize because then if not, you get angry and you start to get right. resentful and bitter mm-hmm. towards people who are actually doing good work and people who are trying to do what's best for a lot of uh, disenfranchised people in this country that yeah. are going through a lot, uh, a rough time. Yeah. And know? I mean, increasingly, I think with, wow, this is the most political this podcast has ever gotten. I kind of love it. But I think increasingly, uh, especially with people our age or like in our generation, the ability to compartmentalize uh, somebody who is more or less ideologically on your side being totally fucking wrong about something, yeah. but still being able to, to, to vote for them or support them yeah. and not necessarily support that one thing is kind of lost on a lot of people. Yeah. No, and I, ho- and I hope that kind of um, changes. And I think it is changing. I think people are starting to understand that nobody is going to be the ideal um, person to represent you and everyone's going to be flawed and everyone's going to have – yeah, I mean something in their everybody, past. Everybody's gonna have said something racist on their comedy podcast. Exactly. <laughs> like you dig up enough Bernie podcasts but and the, you will find something racist. <laughs> I think Bernie should be on SNL. <laughs> <laughs> he was. He, he was. was. That's once. true. That's um, true. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. so now that we've solved the world's uh, socioeconomic yeah. problems, socio-political problems, let's. Uh, this is gonna be a hard shift, but okay. since we're like, we gotta, we gotta wind down. Just uh, tell us about. What you're working on now, uh, how people can stay in touch with your work, da da da. The shows you have coming up. Let's do plugs. Okay, plugs, plugs. Um, well, I have a Gato Culo show coming up on October 9th at 7:30 p.m. Hey. at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, Hell's Kitchen. Yes, yes. Five 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 West Forty Second Street. <laughs> um, and I am also working um, – so me, Caitlin Kunkel, and James Volta, we're all working on the Satire and Humor Festival, which is a sort of writing conference and event um, collection of event shows and workshops uh, for people who are comedy, humor, and satire writers in awesome. New York and in the U.S. So and we, when is it? So the, the next festival in New York is going to be on March – 27th so a couple months from now but we're yeah we're working on um you know that's all i've heard nothing but great things about this event thanks yeah i wish i had gone to the past iteration our our first one was this year in in march as well and it was such a good um such a good experience and and again coming back to that community building aspect of things that i like to do Mm. um it was really cool to just like showcase so many talented people. I was like fully intimidated by everyone in the room, and it mm. was and that's a good feeling. That I is think. a great feeling. Um, and so yeah, we're we're organizing the the next festival. It's going to be in March. Um, the only thing I can say right now is that Chris Monks, the editor of McSweeney's, will be coming. Hey, so that will be really cool for all those McSweeney's heads. Yeah, up. <laughs> yeah. Um, for Adrian's mom's friends, McSweeney's. <laughs> yes, you do need to explain McSweeney's. It's a website where. How do you explain McSweeney's? <laughs> uh, McSweeney's is like it's a it's a website where uh, if you're a comedian that likes to write comedy that doesn't necessarily make people laugh, but slightly slightly smirk in the coffee shop they're writing their screenplay in. Or like McSweeney's like... is the outlet. For that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's great, and like a lot of people, 
you know, have have actually gone to do really good work based on totally. pieces like Mixed Readings is it's like New Yorkerish. It's like yeah. New Yorker light yeah. kind of. Um they they don't shy away for from topical and political humor as well. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, a lot of people like even Caitlin, uh one of the festival co founders, she wrote a piece called New Erotica for Feminists and it mm-hmm. went super viral and she got a book deal from yeah, it. So like yeah. it's it's not you know, some you're not Shout screaming into the void. I took an improv <laughs> class with her years ago. I mean, she is a dream, um, and James is a dream too. Um, no, I'm super happy that we're doing that, and that's that's just one very um, cool personal project that we're working on. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. Personally, I'm, I'm just uh, trying to figure it all out. Yeah, like, follow Leo <laughs> on Twitter, on Instagram, all that shit. Oh yeah, my. My handle is my name spelled phonetically, so Tulio, T-O-O-L-E-E-O-H. <laughs> <laughs> I need to change that. <laughs> it's great. It's great. I say keep it forever. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we call it a day? Um, no, I feel like I talked too much. And I, the I whole wanna... point is for you to talk Right, but I wanted to hear more from you. You know? Okay, so we'll hang out. Okay, <laughs> they've already they've already heard too much from me. There's, okay. This is like the thirty seventh hour of yeah. this show. They don't yeah, need yeah. to hear my shit anymore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but or I'll I'll bring you back and you can interview me. Yeah, great, great. Let's do that. Amazing. Say yeah. something funny or interesting. Um, I uh, I don't know. I <laughs> I love springing this on people right at the end of the show. I used to wet the bed uh, very frequently. Uh, well into my teens so yikes that's that's, I don't know I'm gonna give them no context for that okay goodbye And that's it for this week's episode of La Mescla. Thank you so much to Tulio for coming in. Thank you to At Large Studios for having me here. Thank you to all of you, my mom's friends, for listening to the show. Uh, And please, 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 if you're around on Monday, uh, buy a ticket to the La Mescla live show and come on out to Caveat. It's going to be so much fun. And the show is all to benefit the Northern Manhattan Coalition for Immigrant Rights, uh, which is an organization, a local organization that I really believe in that affects the lives of immigrant families right here in our community in Manhattan. Uh, So please come to the show. I am so very nervous that I am singing the song. Okay, I'm going to stop embarrassing myself. And I hope you have a great weekend. And I will see you on Monday. Bye. Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save money.